the Laughing Monkey Music Show. Tonight we have Mike Watt on. How you doing? Glad to be here. Thank you for having me aboard, Sean. Um, I love having you on. I'm envious. You have a, you have a great your own great show that you've been doing for like we were talking earlier, like 20, 20 years. Um, we're going to touch on that after. But notoriously, you started out in the Minutemen, and then another group began. Fire, then Firehose, and then you've done like a somebody. If I actually went over all the bands you went over, there'd be no time for the show. <laughs> you've had yeah. so many projects. You have such a wealth of material. You've done. You've written books. You you know endorsements. Um, your bass playing. You played with everybody. So if we could just touch on where I, I think it's great looking back at that time period. We'll start with such a few bands and then move on. The Minutemen, the evolution of that sound. Like in the, I know you guys have some basic rock influences, but did you guys have some jazz influences also coming in? Some strong. Well, once the movement came on. We met people, you know, Raymond Pettibone was the first guy to play me John Coltrane. I didn't know. I actually thought he was an older punk rocker. I didn't know <laughs> he was dead. I didn't know anything about jazz. You know, I, my pop was a sailor, right? A merchant, uh, arch, uh, machinist mate uh, in the Navy. Yeah. So he's in the engine room. And so I grew up in Navy housings. They have housing, you know, for their enlisted men. And so didn't really know about these other kinds of musics except stuff on the AM radio. And then I learned about arena rock. Yeah. It's terrible in a way. It's very limited. But I knew more than D. Boone. I met D. Boone. The only rock band he knew was Creedence, Clearwater Revival. So that's how I got into playing music. His mother put me on bass when I was 12. And you guys are going to have a band. Now, <laughs> it wasn't like that's going to be your career. It's just something we would do. You know, keep you busy from getting in trouble. It's kind of Econo childcare, yeah. So, uh, graduate high school. We uh, this is twelve years old, right? When I meet him, so we're doing this for a couple of years, and then we graduate high school in 1976. Just as this trippy movement starts getting going, that now when I look back, it's kind of an anti-arena rock movement. It was about club music. It sounds crazy because everybody knows about clubs, right? Right. You were born, oh, 1957, Sputnik, and you're 13 in 1970. You don't know about clubs. You only know, know about this arena rock, Nuremberg rally kind of way of doing music. And <laughs> oh my God, it's, it's so weird. Like, the first gig me and D Boone saw was T Rex. And we liked him a lot, but he was about an eighth of an inch high. <laughs> we were far away. The sound was terrible. It was nothing like seeing the germs at the whiskey. <laughs> right. This wasn't. And even though that's how we were together playing, oh, yeah, but the way you played was different, too. No one we knew here in Pedro. San Pedro, California is the harbor of Los Angeles. Okay, about 30 miles south of Hollywood, where we first saw these gigs, right? Uh, not the arena rock, but these uh, gigs of the movement, punk movement. So anyway, uh, what people did was copy, try to copy stuff off records. No one we knew wrote their own songs. It was right. the weirdest thing in the world. Weirdest. I'm, I'm so glad that that, that, you know, how some things go in cycles and repeat themselves. Luckily, that I have not yet to see that come back. I have people on my show, they start writing songs. They tell me, 
when they were teenagers, before they're teenagers. It's it's beautiful. You know, this I can just copy in music. So when you talk about rock influences, yes. Okay, at first I had to learn all those Creedence Clearwater Revival songs from the first six, you know, forget Mardi Gras, but the other six records. Now, this was difficult for me because, uh, number one, I didn't know what a bass was. You were so far away, it looked like a guitar, but it ain't. People say four-string guitar. No, four-string drums. (laughs) That took a (laughs) lifetime to learn that. I'm still learning that. But, you know, you weren't close enough to even see they were bigger strings, right? You couldn't, or or the sound, nothing, you know. But anyway, I'm very glad D. Boone's Ma put me on bass because, yeah, it changed my life for the better. (laughs) I owe her so much, you know. We lost her when we were only 18 years old, you know. But, man, am I grateful to her. But we, a lot of our rock influence, yeah, came from trying to copy off record. Blue Oyster Cult, Green's Clearwater Revival, Alice Cooper, Black Sabbath, you know, The Who, you know, it's, it's a shame, but <laughs> that's the reality, okay? And then when the movement came, we saw these bands play. You could tell a lot of these cats were learning right in front of you. That did not happen. Well, for one thing, we didn't know about clubs. We didn't know you could play them or anything. But what we had was keggers, right? That'd be a party in somebody's backyard. And the best guy was the guy who could play Black Dawn of the best. You know, <laughs> It wasn't about using music as an expression. So we were kind of embarrassed when the movement got going because these guys, you know, were learning in front of people. And we were kind of felt polluted like we were tainted with the old way so we got this idea from a band in england called wire they had this oh yeah called pink flag and they had really tiny songs and we thought if we copied that format not their sound so much but the format of the tiny songs that no one or or be harder to tell that we learned off copy of records isn't that weird yeah i mean we were so just so self-conscious john we're just so self-conscious Bands like the Urinals, they blew our minds that these guys just made a band, you know, without knowing how to play. Why not? Now it sounds very okay. But 40, 50 years ago, it was not very okay. (laughs) You know, and you took blows for it. But when I look back, I don't think it was, I mean, I like the funny names and the funny haircuts and the funny sounds, you know. But I really think it was a thing about club experience versus arena rock you actually talk to people you could be up there this is what happened you know i'm watching the germs watching pat smear you know darby lorna and the guy who was standing next to me now he's on stage and there's pat i can talk to him that never happened at arena. in fact i didn't even talk to the guy who was sitting next to me at the arena rock i didn't know him we're all in the dark and scary and it's just different it was i can't tell you so you're right. We started off with rock influence. No, it's. I don't think there's anything wrong. I appreciate all types of music, and I think the larger stuff is more of a celebration. Pass. Okay, that's just, that's just the way it came in the mail. <laughs> no, I'm saying I, 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 I see that point. And I see what's it's exciting as a new musician because you're allowed to do that, you know. And writing your own music is way more fun. That's what I wanted to do when I was playing. I know, up. but you don't have people to hip you to that. It's hard to know if everybody else is like copying. You know, I remember this dude tell us. We were playing with our buddy Mark Weiswasser, trying to do Tie Your Mothers Down, learn it, you know, off the record. 
And this guy, we come out to take a breather because it's all sweaty. This guy walks by. He's got wearing a cotex around his neck. He's got Vaseline in his hair. Now, this is 1976 in Pedro, right? Pretty square, John. Anyway, his hair's out. He's a drummer. He's a Pedro dude, but he joined a Hollywood band called the Weirdos. And he told oh. us, he goes, you know what, guys? There's a scene up in Hollywood where people write their own songs. We were like, what? We couldn't believe it. And then we saw it. We saw the bags. It was a Sunday show at the Whiskey, four bands for four bucks. And I looked at D. Boone, the first note, a couple of notes they were playing. And without thinking, out of my mouth came, we can do this. That's, that's what do you call that? Uh, enabling? You know, it was like the G.O. It was the G.O. Let's do it. You've been doing this to be buddies in, your, in the bedroom and shit. Why not take it to the, you know, this club or a club or, you know, let's join this scene. It seems pretty trippy. It is. But you guys had talent. That You some natural talent that you guys all had, too. Oh, you're very kind, Sean. <laughs> well, let's, 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 let's take a minute, though. I do want to say. I, I got to tell you. Some punk bands did not have a lot of talent. Yeah, but I don't know if I'd be talking to you now was it for the movement, because we were very influenced. Oh, I think it was a perfect storm. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's it. You know what I, I mean? Yeah, I agree. There are punk bands that couldn't, they're, and they're good singers. I mean, you enjoy the band, but truthfully, the singer or whatever couldn't carry a tune in. You have to say in a paper bag. And it's just, it's horrible singing. But man, you're going to put that CD in or that record on, and you're going to listen to it. There's forgiveness. There's a certain, there's a, it's like, it is, it's like a soup. You know, punk. There's a whole, all the, all the greater pieces make one one meal. You know, that you digest. You either like it or you don't. You know. Yeah, I agree. And there was also a lot of ways to do it. It wasn't just playing yeah. guitar fast. Especially '70s punk. '70s punk was really strange. It was like whatever you could get up on the stage. And a lot of the people were older. There was no kids until hardcore came in the '80s. It was people that were from the glitter and glam scenes, which was not that big in the U.S. And actually, there was more women than men. I mean, these, this, it was a small scene at first, you understand, up in Hollywood. In fact, I'll tell you this. Here's a trippy thing. My sister went took me to the, the Tiffany Theater in West Hollywood. would have once a week, the weekends, Rocky Horror Picture Show movie. And these people, they knew all the words. They'd get up there and throw toast and you know the time warp they kind of took yep. over the i saw those people at the at the first gigs same same cats <laughs> right same it was always the same hundred people every weekend you didn't know them you know uh the la socal so spread out all these towns not just los angeles orange county then turk oh oh it's crap you don't know anybody but then you keep seeing the same people at these shows and these are probably the people that did not fit in with their scenes Right? So they all went to this one yeah. place. Yeah. That's the way I look at it when I look back. It was kind of a... Well... Like I said, you wouldn't be talking to me, maybe. That no one would know about... Men. There wouldn't have been a minute, man. It'd be just me and D. Boone doing Creedence and Blue Oyster Cult. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what you got, the sound you actually ended up evolving into was revolutionary, you know? You don't have to say it, but I mean, let's look at the music and the history now. You have a legacy that you can look back on and, and realize how it's carried over to its own Yeah, you know, but I'm footprint. telling you, we were part and parcel of this thing, you know? Right. 
But you've become yeah, now a bigger part of it. We're SST002. We don't sound like Black Flag. No. But so that means you got to give those cats some credit, right? They weren't looking for clones. Oh, no. Yeah. Their own. So that, that's why I'm trying to say the movement was important. You needed kind of, it wasn't enough for just me, Georgie, and D Boone. You know, we had to, we had to have some co conspirators. <laughs> it's just amazing. Right? The, the, sound, were, yeah. the gigs were like people were taking turns playing for each other. And then it went to the suburbs and hardcore, the young kids. Then, then there was more of an audience. But then with that came kind of a more not as open mind to experience. Commercial? In a way, uh, not commercial if you wanted to talk like uh, Eagles or something, but the idea of no. everybody playing the same fast song. That right. got kind of, it got, here's what, what kind of, uh, I don't want to say bummed me out, but when things got predictable, like you knew how the gigs were going to be before they started. That's because, sure. you know, those first few years, you did not know what the gigs were going to be like. Everyone was a total surprise, especially if you're coming from Arena Rock. <laughs> but then it got a little predictable. And you know when things get predictable, the next step is what? Sleepwalking, cruise control, you know, connect the n- dots. Yeah. yeah the so next generation of music comes in and right, takes it over. Right, right. right. Well, it, it might be game over, but maybe if you, you got to take things more into your own hands. And, and you have to say to yourself, do we want to, you know, lay them out like this? Or do we try to do things to keep it interesting? And that's what yeah. the men try to do. You know? But I got to tell you, we were a product of the movement. And and, and and then things kept going. That's why it's still around in a weird way. It's not a style of music. It's more of a state of mind where people aren't afraid to let the freak flag fly. <laughs> Yeah. That's the only way I could put it. Well, you, you, you're also a, a big supporter of the earliness of the freedom of playing a bass guitar like it's a lead lead guitar. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, kind of got the idea from Jack Bruce, this guy in Creed. <laughs> right. What right. I'm saying is but it's, it's, you know, you're one of the people that in the early in the early army in the front lines of saying, yeah, just more to bass. You can also do this, you know. Well, I got to tell you, too, about the movement. Since so many of these cats were starting out, yeah. He had a level playing field. It wasn't like the guitar player was the boss of everything. He was just as lame as the drummer, just as lame as the bass player. You know what I mean? It was more yeah. level. It was, and then me and D Boone, of course, we come from the old stuff. But then these guys, they're set up. Yeah, bass is, you listen to those old punk songs, bass guitar is huge. Mm-hmm. Really is huge. Yeah. Well, I ain't against it. <laughs> No, I know. That. I'm saying, but you're you're the extra. You're, no, I mean, you're, you're hyper, layers. I mean, hyper uh, hyper bold. I, I I know rhetorically. I'm saying that. I know. I know. Yeah. But it's it's fantastic, and and this, the market's made. It's like you know, I remember in high school, you know, hearing you guys, and I was like, this is great. This is the best thing, you know. And then you know, and to this day, that music stands up. And then unfortunately, you had the you know the accident, and then yeah. you kept going. I mean, I know Sonic Youth kind of helped you, which is fantastic. They're another and great band. And from Ohio, you talked about Firehose, right? And from Ohio. Well, that's, that's what we're going to get to. That was a timeline. Did, did you do, was it Firehose before you did the Sonic Youth thing, or was it a little after? It was at the same time, right? It, it's after. It's after. The first thing, okay, the fun. first playing I do after D-Boom, lose him, is 
they're making an album called Evo. Yeah. And they brought me in the studio and Thurston asked me to play Kim's bass. And that was the first time I played since that happened. And then we made a proj, a little seven inch called Chaconi Youth. Yep. Then Edward comes to my house. I didn't know you had to pay money to not have your number in the phone book. So Edward called me. Says, I'm coming over. Uh, I said, what? Who are you? <laughs> I lived in a little one-room apartment, so I got some wood from the alley, and I built a big old desk. I said, you can conk under here. I bought him this. He brought an electric guitar. He's actually a trumpet student at Ohio State. So I bought him his first amplifier. And I asked, I, I told Georgie, Georgie, let's try this with this, this kid. If he's got the fuck, uh, the waybos to do this, let's try it. Georgie said, okay. And that so was that, another great band. Seven and you a know? half years, 20 tours. Yeah. Uh, great sound. Seven or eight records. And it was the hardest thing in my life to try to make music without D Booth. I got to give Edward huge, huge gratitude. Of course, Georgie, too. I ended Before, up playing with Georgie 14 years. One of the That's greatest drummers awesome. ever, man. And next month, I get to record another four songs with him for this uh, project called The Unknown Instructions. We're going to make a fifth album. But, uh, yeah, you know, life deals your hand, Sean, and we, you just got to play it. I, I never expected that. Debo was so strong. But, you know, we're, we're fragile. Fragile. We are. I think, you know, I think he'd be proud of you, though, moving on. He would have wanted you to keep going, you know. Sure. And I got to thank Thirst for doing the Chicone Youth and make me play Kim's bass like that. Well, I think they would see something I, in you. Yeah, because I, I thought without Deep Boom, no one wanted to hear me play. I had no confidence in that stuff. Oh, well, I think everyone can see you have a big heart, too. So it's, you know, you're a caring person. So, you know. Going to get you back on the course and playing again is a good thing, you know. And and you've played, you've your reputation at this point. You've played with just about everybody. Has have you have you not played with anybody yet? Do you have you wanted to? You know I mean, who I'd like to play with is Bob Mole. Oh, he's great. You know, yeah, me and Deep Blue with Sugar and first, After. I mean, he just he was, you know. We put out the first Husker Du album. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. 1981 Land Speed record, and I just have always admired. I love Grant too, but we lost him to cancer a couple of years ago. Greg Norton, great cat. Well, when people ask me that question, for some reason, I always think of Bob Mould. You know, but there's a lot of cats can... out there I'd love to play with. You're right. You're right. Okay. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, you and you know, I'm assuming a lot of people know your history. Nick and Google a lot of it because we're going to skip around a little bit because we don't need to. But I mean, you've played with like. Pretty much everybody that, you know, this generation, what the heck they're called, are they boomers? Or whatever the Gen X, whatever they are, would know would be like, you played with Nirvana and Foo Fighters and like everybody out there. In fact, how, how did how did the tour you had with Dave Grohl and Eddie Vedder happen? Because they're, no, they're it like... Was, it was Dave Grohl's idea. Okay. Yeah. You know, I made this record, right? After yeah. Fire Hose. I remember showing Edward this song. He goes, Michael, you think that's a song for this kind of band? So he got me thinking, maybe I should have a band for diff- different pro- – he was Piss Bottle Man. <laughs> anyway, it's all right. Edward's beautiful. It wasn't, it wasn't negative, but he got me thinking. So I tried yeah. this record. Now, people call it a solo record, but there was 48 other dudes on it. So I don't know. I it's solo. a big solo record. I, I, was, I, was, I was the rudder man, okay? So, But there, it wasn't just one alone, okay? Ball hog and tugboat. So we do this record. 
And then Dave Grohl is in Australia for some reason. And he's with Ed, Ed Vedder. And they call me up. And Dave Grohl says, hey, what? I, I got this new project I got. I've made an album. I play everything. It's called Foo Fighter. But I'm going to make a band. I'm going to get Pat, right? Pat Smear, hero. Yeah. I can murder. Yeah, well, I want to awesome. my band. <laughs> you don't know what an incredible musician that cat is. Oh, my God. Pat Smear. But anyway, so I got this thing. What? I want to try it out. And, and Ed's got a band, you know, with the, uh, called Hovercraft. He plays drums. And mm-hmm. why, why don't we open for you, what? And then we'll be your backup band. I was like, okay, I'll try it. You know, at this point, you know, I could. Yeah. We practice three days and do this tour. Yeah. But Dave Grohl, he's an idea man, but he's also a doer. When he oh, says yeah. he wants to do something, he does it. And, and that's how that tour happened. It was like, it makes sense on paper. It's I, I was just thinking yeah, about coordination. I gotta tell you, it was when people ask me about the old days, I say it, it was about people. I think the new days are about people too. We use mm-hmm. no management, no agents, none of that crap. We just he just called me up. I said, Yeah, let's do it. I think there was a perfect time for that was, I mean, Eddie and, and, and Dave were trying to rebel their own. They're going back to their punk roots, they, you know, because they had the big controlling management and stuff. And they were kind of doing what they wanted to do, go back to what they wanted to do, have fun with music. And it was perfectly in line with what you're doing. Because to me, I was like, man, those guys were, had, you know, they're like CEOs of a big company. Those, their bands are so big. It's like they're taking time to stop. Well, his the, band and just to take time out of that machine. To do something oh, separate. you're talking about Nirvana because Foo Fighters hadn't started out yet, right? No, I know, but he had just left the whole big industry thing, and anything he did was going to sure, get signed. Sure. Let's be honest. I mean, people weren't aware of all the other talent he had tucked away, you know. Yeah. But he had been part look, of the machine already. Look, I'll tell you this: I played with a, a few drummers. He's one of the best rock and roll drummers ever. Yeah. He's a great drummer, man. Oh my He's god, heavy, incredibly heavy, incredibly uh, creative. That, that lick he comes up with uh, against the 70s, he made that mm-hmm. shit up on the spot. Really? I wouldn't, I wouldn't shit you. That was like two takes. A lot of that record. The people, you know, I here, here was the idea behind that record. It was a test. The title, Bog or Tugboat, right? It's about the bass player. My, my theory was to be tested by making this record. If the bass player knew the song, maybe anybody could play drums or sing or guitar. And you know what? That's partially true, but it's good to have cats who can play their asses off, too. Dave Grohl, incredible. Yeah, great musician, man. Carl, I mean, you've done a lot of side projects and a lot of things, but also you've actually done some writing, too. You've written books. Oh, you mean literature? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, because I always interesting. wrote songs. Now, I, I, I ended up writing most of the Minutemen songs, but they're not the good songs. <laughs> Dee Wound and George wrote the good songs. <laughs> Who wrote Corona? I wrote a lot of it. Uh, I've always been a fan of literature. Yeah. It's It seems so private. You know, it's just you, the writer, and then these little scribbly things on paper. <laughs> it's like really weird form of communication. But it's... Uh, Personal yet abstract, so I, I really connect with it. So books like uh, Ulysses, The Divine Comedy, you know, Leaves of Grass. I guess those two are, are poems. 
The Sand Pebbles, Richard McKenna. I mean, these books, I've ended up, they've inspired me to do records, albums. So I've tried it too. There was also always the fear in my mind, getting hurt and not being able to use my hands. Yep. So my pop was always telling me, boy, you need a Bravo, you know, plan B. Always, you know, that truck in front of us, it has a blowout. You go on Porter Starboard. He wanted me to have Bravos and back of Bravos, Bravos. You know, you're always worried about your kids, I guess. But the yeah. plan B was, if I can't do the bass because I hurt my hands, maybe I, I do writing. So I started doing diaries in the 2000, starting in 2000 or 1999. I should have done them since the beginning of the Minutemen, but right. didn't have it together. Hindsight, right? But, the, but the, yeah. Hindsight, exactly. It was kind of a shot. It was kind of a Plan B thing. But you doing it back then? It's great. It's, it's it, you and actually and Henry Rollins have the are like are like two of the go to snapshots of the time period. The grittiness of what Kate's was going on in the scenes. Yeah, he was doing, and Kay got him into writing. Well, first she got him to write journals. Just write about your journal. Just means the day, right? A tour diaries, like yeah, that. right. Yeah, yeah dear diary. <laughs> yeah, right. I think at Diario Italiano, I think it's day. Yeah, it's day. So why not? Yeah, it's but but it's great. I mean, any any chance you're doing a biography of yourself though? I mean, you've done a lot. You got some good stories, man. If you go on the hoop page, there's enough tour diary. There. I I know there's a lot on there. I know that you have a actually. So let's let's tie that together. Well, part of that, you yeah. know, not all of it's Plan B. Some of it was actually in the moment therapy to keep my focus. It's really easy, you know, especially if you play every day the way I tour or with the Stooges where you'd have three or four days off, you lose your focus. And when you write about what you're doing, you start to think about what you're doing. And it yeah. helped. was kind of econotherapy, like Deep Boone's mom with the econo child care. You know, we Jeremy Econo wasn't a slogan. <laughs> okay, It wasn't just a bumper <laughs> sticker, right? It's You had to live it because that was the reality. That's kind of where I got into this diary writing. You know, it kind of enforced some kind of discipline on me. Like, I got to get it done. And then you think about what you're doing, whether it be a blowing a clam in a song or maybe treating somebody with not enough politeness, just worrying about your, your, your behavior and trying to be responsible. I know it's kind of trippy, but. No, well, it's, it's actually it's it's well no by doing that it's it's more of a self reflection tool than even a song. Yeah, because yeah, a song you can chop down into a couple minutes and then you can kind of, you got you got to craft it. You can't be as expressive to fit a um, right you know, a two minute or two ten minute song. It's got to also have a, a besides a literal element. Right. I don't even need a literal element, but for sure you need a music element. <laughs> so you so, know, like like Jimmy said, excuse me while I kiss this guy. <laughs> I think yeah, it'd be great I used if you to did screw book. the words up. I, I didn't hear the words right. You know, I was just a kid, right? Thank you, Jim. <laughs> I don't think I don't. Yeah, the words aren't always that important at times for a lot of people, though. Yeah, like, right. So, because the music is so strong, right? Me, I always I always read the I lyrics. That's the first thing. Song. Hey, hey, the bathrooms on the right. No, it's bad moon <laughs> on the rise. Are you sure it ain't the bathrooms on the right? <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot like that. What's it? The uh, Billy Joel keeping the face. I know people that thought it was kicking, kicking the face. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there's some good ones out there like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's fantastic. 
so yeah, let's talk about you because you do actually have you started doing your your hoot page like you were you were very much on the cusp of of the internet and everything else. So you, it is. I mean, so you've had it for longer than most anybody's had. You know, their own pages. And you've built off of it and just kept going. It has its own look. Well, look, Sean. Again, yep. I hope I hope finger over the face. Sorry. I hope this don't sound like I'm in rerun mode, but I got to give credit to the movement. One of the strong things about the movement, besides exciting, unpredictable gigs, right, was this idea of the fanzine. Yep. This idea of a cat putting together reviews of gigs that got him excited and him not sending it to whatever merch kind of thing, but him printing it up stapling it together okay see that ethic no middleman no well, let's do it the, the do it yourself ian mccain you know, way of putting your albums further in. back than that 1855 walt whitman with leaves of grass okay right? that's what this that even, up well, himself he writes 12 poems he thinks he's going to stop the civil war he thinks guys are going to read this stuff at lunchtime you know at the farm or the factory like, yeah, we don't need to do this. But that kind of crazy optimism, right. you know, and faith in your, your yourself, not trying to say you're better than other people, but maybe people no. should hear this expression that I got. But the punk thing is you didn't you need, need a record label. You'd book your own tours. You'd sleep on people's couches. You had your own built-in audience. You could but make your fanzines. this is the same thing, Sean, what I'm trying to make a connect with is having your own website. I thought that right. was like having your own zine. It is. And I don't know. I think that was the weirdest thing. Like you were one of the few people. Like to me, it was it's so punk, you know. And I remember Billy yeah, Idol did punk. It was like that's not Sean. punk, but it's like so it's so punk. My mind was, I thought all the punk rockers were going to have their own websites, and then everybody starts flocking to things like Fake Look and Shitter and Instant Ham, My Wasted Space Place, all these corporate things. <laughs> like let's all get together via whatever Spin Magazine. You know, right? Yeah, like, yeah, right. They'll run our scene. They'll do a good job. Oh, yeah, right. They don't care. They just want to remove those little green paintings from your wallet. <laughs> Some yeah. kind of magic trick. They're they're magicians. <laughs> but but no, the fact you built it. I'm, I'm just trying to get down to where I learned this. I didn't invent it. I just thought this was a little technology twist on this ethic of the fancy of the independent label. Of starting your own band, writing your own song, writing your own poem, your own story. Sometimes it's not about really inventing. For example, I can write a novel without inventing one English word, but it still can be a kind of original story. Mm -hmm. That's what That's I a, was looking for. You were using a tool. Word autonomy. Yeah. Autonomy. I think that's an important thing you got to kind of preserve. If you want to let that freak flag fly. It also seems to me that one of your, the best natural drug for you is being part of the journey of the creativity of doing everything. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause when you build a website and you do a thing, just like if I do a podcast or a show or, a, or whatever I'm doing, it's like, you yeah. got to book it, plan it, then you shoot it, then you got to edit it and then you got to promote it, but you're doing it all yourself. And the best part of doing anything is the journey of, of figuring it out and kind of getting there. When you, once you get there to me, it's almost less fun. Because you're there. What right. else are you going to do? Do it again? Boring. Yeah, you know? right, right. 
So the knowing is in the doing. I think so. I, I see that. So. I, I think I, I feel agree, like some, so. of, some of your work. I agree. You know, so. I don't think I recognize that. And we'll keep talking. At that music, time, but, in 1996, yeah. when I started the Hoot page, it was hard to get internet access. Everybody was using something called America Online. Yep. And to me, that was like seeing animals at a zoo in cages. <laughs> Your 250-hour you CD? Mall. They want you. It's like going to the mall. Pretty boring, pretty quick. Yeah. So instead of just belly aching, why not do something about it? I found out you could actually... Just like making your own records, you could pay a pressing plant. You don't have yeah. to wait, yeah, for the whoever to come down from Mount Olympus and anoint you. <laughs> no. But the fact you but kept there's with it. nobody to hip you that you don't know. That's why I'm saying the movement was important. And well, I just don't tell you it's wrong. Ethics, those ethics I learned from those gigs in Hollywood, I learned. I used 20 years later when it was possible. To buy some server space, yep, and start up a web page. But you page. weren't told, right? But, but just like in music, you weren't told what's wrong. You, they weren't told there were no rules. There's no no rules. You just you get an idea and you just do it. It's not like, well, you can't do it that way. You don't know that. You just you don't you don't know any better. You just figure out how to do it. You know, this is no limitations. Whether yeah, it's music I found or out the, about other kinds of trippy relationships, like a farmer with his crop. Seems he needs a lot of manure to grow a good crop. So I say, bring it, motherfuckers. <laughs> right? Because you're going to get a reaction. The Hoot page was a reaction to corp, you know, rock and roll magazines. Yeah. Okay. I love Richard Meltzer. I love Cream Magazine. But man, there wasn't a lot of that after a while. <laughs> they were just shills. Right? It's, it's hard to get you. Know. It's a racket. So you know, what are you going to do? Just bellyache or maybe do something about it. Come up with uh, your own cooking. With the fact you kept it for this long, though, and you, you keep it growing. A lot of people have been for like, all right, I did it for two, three years. It's hard because I'm touring now. You you've inv you invested. That was like, that's it. I'm committed. And well, there's very few things from – there's very few websites from back then. The what? Men was from working people. Maybe working in a salt mine is a little harder than putting together a web page. <laughs> My point is, you can't, a lot of people just stopped doing these. There's a lot of dead websites from back then. Oh, sorry. Hmm? Sorry. I can't run everybody's life, though. <laughs> Not holding you responsible. I'm saying the fact that you did it was pretty amazing on its own because a lot of people just stopped back then. So the fact that yours is going still, it's See, kind of impressive. Yeah, because remember autonomy. One way to have autonomy, have your own website. Have your own say. And but now listen, as you're talking about the whole punk attitude and doing things nowadays, you don't need the the, the big banks. I mean record labels to yeah. to front you the money. You yeah. can do anything yourself, and you can promote yourself. Yeah. You can have control again. It's it's kind of exciting on some level for music. Also, it's hard because there's yeah. so much of it. So one eats the other, you know. Yeah, but would you have it the other way? No. <laughs> it's harder. Yeah, I know. I know. You know. I hear this. Some people tell me there's too much music. Well, you want it the other way? Not enough music. <laughs> no, you guys hand them a stack of behind the behind. You, you know, know what I mean? Careful. I'd rather have the gates wide open than like single file line. And, you know, I remember. And it was never guy. good for anybody. 
you know? Some guy, Bill Gazzari, had a club in Hollywood. He goes, only the Foxy guys play my club. Oh, my God. <laughs> Indy Booner out. <laughs> hey, I've seen some clips of him. <laughs> oh, you know about Bill Gazzari. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> he was too much. He was, was an entertaining much, at least he was honest about it. You know, only the Foxy guys on my stage. <laughs> He wants to fill his club. He wants to make money. He knows how to run a business. Yeah, you know what? He ended up selling it. Right? It's called the Key Club now. Or something. Right. It's had five or six owners since then. It's hard running a club. It's hard maintaining a scene. Yeah. You know? It is. It is. So, well, in fact, you're very you kind always... to give me some respect for keeping the hoot page going. Thank you. <laughs> you were, you were, I think you, you, you being um, born from a military family has yeah. kind of got you built in being the kind of Pack up your suitcase, do it yourself, and keep moving. Oh, yeah, you get the orders, right? Yeah. Like, it's in your blood. Now you're going to move, right? Like, from Virginia, yeah. right, when I was done. Well, you look at a map. Vietnam was a lot closer to Pedro, okay? But but still, in 30 days, you just got to move. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That makes you a different crazy. person. Yeah. You know, it, it, it makes you, know, you comfortable and uncomfortable. The singer R.E.M., you know, the last uh, Minutemen tour was with R.E.M., and the singer, he told me he came from that kind of family. You might be right about that. It's, maybe it's kind of like coming from a vaudeville family or mm-hmm. something. You're, you're kind of ready for showbiz a little bit, yeah. There's a lot of musicians I've been speaking to that you find their parents were in the military, and they're military brats. Wow, okay. So, and they're like, I was born to travel. I was, I, since I, I was born, you know, doing, and I was always entertaining to make new friends and doing this and this, and I kept going. And and that just became my career. That makes sense. Makes good sense. And I think you're, you know, kind of was one of the silos for you, you know, where it plays, plays into it. And But I joined the punk Navy. <laughs> you did. You did join it. <laughs> but it punk, was more open. He couldn't understand why I was still doing it after he lost D. Boone. He didn't know I was making a living out of this. So I started sending him postcards from tour. And he couldn't believe this stuff. Because you know what? You're kind of like a sailor. And that's where I got the idea for my yeah. first opera. From my pop. That's pretty cool. I remember going up to the top floor. right? The, it was the AT&T building. They called it five, 550 Death Star. <laughs> Something like that. People <laughs> work there. And it's just me and the boss of Columbia. Right, Donnie? He's not blinking, right? Tell me what I want to hear. I go, can I make an opera about three guys in a boat? Do it. Yeah, no demos, nothing, right? Big label. I tell you, I got no nightmare stories from working for a big label for 14 years because of the autonomy, because what I did with SSTV. Right. Yeah. Like street cred. Remember, remember the days of the payphone? I do. Okay. So if I wanted to talk to you, put those quarters in. Not two India Company AT&T in those days. I think they own the whole thing. They, they, as long as they don't jump on the phone and tell me what to say, I don't hang up on them. That's called autonomy. Somehow, you know, you're on the same road as the, the limousine or the Volkswagen, but they don't jump in your window and grab onto your steering wheel. No, true. <laughs> I, I, I had to come up with these kind of... Uh, uh, things to explain it because people didn't understand it it's it's somehow like you're just beating people down no it's not like that it's not like going to war with everybody but it's preserving this kind of autonomy it's kind of actually a mutual respect i can hear that you know if you got an idea that 
either people are against you or you're with you. Man, that's kind of a cutthroat way to live a life. It is. I think I lost it. Like, there you go. Hey, there you go. <laughs> yeah, it was my thumb over the camera. Stupid. It's like a Taliban video. They're shooting in the cave. We can't blame the machine. It's pilot error. <laughs> user error. Yeah, user error, right. But I also think sometimes you know, art, art, one artist with a vision, even without a musician, Some a lot of the old label guys had the vision and understood art, and they couldn't do it themselves. Absolutely. absolutely. And that's why there's some long shots that were taken back in the day, and once those guys left, things really crumbled, you know. Yeah, yeah. Mo Osteen, yeah. Andy Warnerker, great cats. Yeah. No, you're, you're, you're right. You're right. Because people are people, and how are they going to conduct themselves? That's really right. And uh, yeah, there's not many many guys now that are sitting in the chair because they have their board to answer to. That can say, you know, I like this project. We're going to put money behind this. You know, I have no idea if it's going to make any money. Your your opera sounds like the plot of an Italian film. Three guys in a boat. <laughs> like I'm going to watch an IFC. It's going to be in black and white, right? Right. It's going to have some great stars in it that do independent films. And they're like, yeah, do it. So that's there's something about that of having a vision that the the old CEOs or their old record label heads or whatever the title was could do, you know. Yeah. And when that when they're gone now, you know, I think the heart is out of, out of the industry. That's why I don't think it's ever going to recover. And they're flogging around, you know what I mean, just to keep it going. Well, you know, we got a building here in Pedro. It's called Union Ice. It was this huge warehouse that had blocks of ice in it. Dudes were like, and sure, some guys lost a job, but man, would you want to be schlepping big blocks of ice? No. Yeah, so things change, right? But people are still people. You got to move on. You got to be ready to move on, you know? Maybe the guys moving the ice now are making ice cube trays or selling refrigerators. Oh, refrigerators. Right. You keep it in the industry. Refrigerators, right? Right. You got this the future. <laughs> Ice blocks aren't, aren't anymore. Refrigerators, that's the future. I think you get what I mean, Sean. I, I do. I get what I mean. Yeah. I think it, it's very mobile. So you also, once again, in this theme, started pirate, a pirate radio. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is incredible. That's basically where my show came from. My internet show came yes. from. Yes. Well, that's, what, that's what I have my whole point. How, that's what, if you could talk about that. KBLT was in Silver Lake, which is like East Hollywood. So I'd have yeah. to drive 25, 28 miles to get there. That's why it's called the Watt for Pedro show. I didn't live in Silver Lake. What it was, was there was a DJ, Keith Morris, the singer of Circle Jerk. He had to go on tour. Watt, will you take my place? Now, I'd never been on that side of the microphone. Buttloads of interviews, right? You know, yeah. Minuteman and Apiros and all that. But I'd never been on that side. Right when I went to college, I got my degree in electron, actually fixing key punch machines and stuff. slide rules. Oh yeah, you can't believe how things changed, but maybe you can. Anyway, two years I got to do it Friday nights. By the time you got to downtown, maybe five miles from there, you couldn't hear the station anymore, so you could not hear the Watt from Pedro show in Pedro. Man, but the FCC got wind and they closed down the station. In fact, the lady ran the apartment out. Her name was Paige. Uh, she wrote a book about it. It's called 40 Watts from Nowhere. You can read about this thing. KPLT. Anyway, I was on tour right after this. And we're conking at buddies of mine that just moved to Portland, Oregon. And they're starting up a company hosting websites. They go to me. What? And because I was bumming on losing the station. Uh, losing the show because of the station. Right. Shut down. 
what? You could still have your show. In fact, any cat with a pewter will be able to listen to it. Someone in Sarajevo, someone in Pedro. Let us host your show. And that's what led to the Watkin Pedro show, Brother Matt. First one was in May, middle of May, 2001. So I've what was it, what was it like the first person you talked to for you being on the opposite end well, of it? The first shows, yeah, the first shows I didn't have guests. It was just me. And All right, well, you know what I'm saying? Like your first, your, your first handful of interviews is always a weird dimension. You you get your you get your. I your never had. Like, I don't think I had any interviews at KBLT. I think it was just Watt playing his his records from his. Well, what would happen was I play the records from my. Uh, 45s from my punk collection, you know? Yeah. And of course, every record had a story about seeing that band or how I got that record. So I would... Right. The first interviewer or interviewee was me interviewing myself. Okay. <laughs> but then I started having guests. In a way, I kind of had... Finger over again. What? User error. I kind of had kind of an advantage. Maybe other interviewers had because I had been on that other side of that mic. Mm -hmm. so I kind of asked them things I wanted to hear. <laughs> I That's exactly the goal of what I've done. Because I, if you have a little bit of a musical background yeah. in the in the industry on some level, yeah. I think there's a, um, a continuity that you could have in a conversation with somebody that's just a little bit to the left than a normal interview. Okay. Because you can touch on a few touchstones and a few experiences that, you know, Maybe the other person hasn't yet, and and that creates a different kind of um, that turmoil. But you know, what I mean, a conversation sparks interest. It can really a dynamic, a dynamic, a dynamic. Yeah. Thank you. And so you'll you know? get questions like, "What's your favorite color?" or "Who's your right. biggest?" You know, then like, like, what, are you okay. Do you get nervous before you go on stage? Yes. <laughs> Those time. questions. Big time. I was not a born entertainer, but do we really want to hear that question? Now, well, that's my whole point. I will yeah. too. When, when I ask that kind of question, it's always about the first gig. I ask them about their first gig. Now, were you scared there? Yeah, because Watts always getting scared, so I don't want. <laughs> it's surprising because a lot of people do that you didn't know because when you were younger, they didn't have the the technology, and you had these cookie cutter interviews. But once people started really really able to talk about it, a lot of artists are like, "Yeah, I get before I go on stage, and, and you know, at Wembley, I go and throw up." And then I go out there and rock it for every, everybody out there. And you have no idea. I'm terrified. The first band I saw do that was the Husker Du guys. We were, going, we were playing with them at UCLA, and they're going to go on stage. And first Bob, then Grant, then Greg, they start puking. All of them? Whoa. Oh, that would have been too much. That would have started throwing up. Oh, three guys throwing up is just too much. I get, I get one person being nervous, but that's just like a, oh, like a Steve Martin movie. Everybody throwing up. <laughs> talk about a song. Talk about good songwriters. Husker do, huh? Absolute. Absolute yeah. beautiful cats. Totally. And here's songs. the other thing too. If you think about them and the meat puppets and the Minutemen, you got three trios. Everybody just playing guitar, bass, and drums, but they sound completely their own sounds. You do. Yeah. They're not copying each other. Right. Which is why you guys lasted a long time. I think in, in other types of music too. When you have the bands that are the original sounding bands, you have a million copycats. Yeah. You're not gonna remember. You know there was a million Van Halen bands, but there's only one Eddie Van Halen. You know there was a million Led Zeppelin clones, but there's only one Led Zeppelin. And you move forward. There's other newer bands. I don't know the the, the damn kids' new bands. Okay. But you know what I'm saying? Like you could just keep going generationally. Like during grunge, 
how many bands were like Alice in Chains was trying to be like a, a rock band when they first started out. Then they became their own band. How many bands try to sound like Alice in Chains? There's only one. You know what I'm saying? And even if it's successful, you think about it. Pat Boone sold way more Tutti Fruities than Little Richard. But it's mm-hmm. so lame. <laughs> yeah, but what, uh, did Pat Boone, though, did you hear, ever hear what, his, his heavy metal album? That's oh, that even lamer. Somebody told me. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That you gotta check and that out. That thing with Little Richard, I bet you that was his manager's idea because it's so embarrassing. And when they asked Little Richard about it, he goes, "Well, I think his version was for the living room. Mine was for the bedroom." <laughs> I've heard some crazy, crazy stories behind the scenes about him. He he is a he was a firecracker. Oh yeah, you know, you know, he's part of the the, the scene, right? He's old rock and roll. Yeah. But that's Very another important. layer of Very just important. being different. You know what I mean? Another Absolutely. type of music that was different, another different way of doing it, you know, another another instrument that was different, you know, a different sound. You know, being different in the scene is is what the scene was about. Also, the United States in the fifties. We're talking well, it, land of the free and stuff, but we got uh, the brothers. Yeah, yeah. Not free for everybody. Land of the free for That's the right. middle class Rock white man. Came around when it did for a reason. In yeah. a way, the music was actually from Boogie Woogie, maybe fifty years earlier. Oh, totally. But yeah, it's actually rock and roll is actually piano music. Guitars are cheaper and they're easier to bring around, but it comes from the piano. It's Little Richard, Jerry the Jangle. Yeah. yeah, it's you know the blues. It's you know even Chuck Berry back. songs, right? Jimmy Johnson wrote them. That's why they're in E flat and B flat. He writes that on guitar, right? No, it's interesting when you, uh, the way things catch on and they don't, and and about herd mentality. You know, and about co-opting successful things. Mm-hmm. That's that's such a part of human history. They always, everybody wants last week's hits. They do, and this I think, but, you know, well, like you, like when you play your instrument, I think it's because you can be very aggressive with it. You have like it's like if it was a if it was a relationship, I think you and your bass would be like you'd be crazy in love, and then the next thing you know, one of you guys would be calling the cops on each other. And you'd be getting a restraining order. And the next day, you couldn't go to court because you guys would be madly in love again. And you'd have to drop the charges because nobody would do it. Yeah. yeah. That's why I think your, your music Either is Either that or a wrestling partner. Oh, right. Right. Because it's like it's so over the top. And then it's like it's love. And then it's just like yeah. crazy. And then it's like back to again in the pocket. It's yeah. it's a journey. Well, the politics of bass is trippy. Because a lot of it is you look good making the other cats look good. A lot of it isn't even heard. It's felt. It's a strange machine. Like I said, I'm very grateful to D. Boone's Ma for putting me on it. It's still mysterious. I think it's still inventing itself. I think its next step is not really 8, 9, 10, and 11 strings. It's being used as a composition tool. Because it doesn't have all that melodic content, you're leaving a lot of room for your collaborators rather than writing on a piano or a guitar. Very interesting. Well, I think just why I don't think I think there's enough stuff out there that things don't actually have to be invented anymore. That they need to go back and jump into that. You know what I mean? Once I had a phone that had I could call oh, a I've computer. Oh, I've had people tell me what you've done enough bass. Why don't you learn harp? Uh, you know, guitar, uh, tuba, trumpet. I'd have to start all over again. <laughs> Plus, who's gonna ta- who's gonna take you on tour with a tuba in the van? No one's gonna take the tuba guy. <laughs> What's well, on too much? I'm not going. Club, I'm t- I don't care. Because it's still bass club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
that is a sound that just only a mother can love. I'm sorry. No, and I'll tell you, you know, reading Lewis's part of book on uh, John Coltrane and him saying, you know, when I'm doing those solos way out there and I'm listening to the bass, I'm like, yeah. You do Coltrane a lot. I start every radio show with it. I, I know. And that was my point. Like, how does that become a thing that it's such a powerful part of your life? Well, he said something that was really important to me. Musicians are after some kind of truth. They can tell when something's phony. And I thought, if I'm going to be a music man, I like that idea. Well, that's definitely being a musician over a rock star then, because a musician is different than a rock star. You can be both. A Dave Grohl can be, be both. But you can be a musician or a rock star generally. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I totally know what you mean. And, but I'm saying, like, but like, there are examples like a Dave Grohl who's a musician's musician. Absolutely. But he's Absolutely. also I at the rock star in him. You, he's you know what I mean? Jive. He's not jive. That man can play. <laughs> right. But to get both of them together is kind of a rare combination. So to be a musician, you really... Yeah, it is. Because the rock star, it's outsiders. They, the the gig-goers pick them, right? Yeah. Well, as a musician, you're, you're, you're not there's thinking a, about... There's a lot of wannabe rock stars, but the people don't pick them. <laughs> and those are the ones copying the other bands, though. So when the next generation goes on, that wanted to be the it, Alice in Chains band, they're not around anymore because they are copying that sound. They weren't the originators. Whereas an original band is going to keep going, whether they're big or small. You know, the, the 90s shows yeah, a lot of rock bands. I don't bands. know if Dave Scroll wanted to be rock star, but it happened. Right. I don't think he did. I think he wanted to be a musician. Yeah. yeah. And that's the whole point. And... But, but to having that and his pop, I remember meeting his pop. He said he played a little flute. So maybe yeah. there was music, and his ma played something. You know, maybe music was in his family. It's in his but blood, man. Sure, I played with the man. That man can play. <laughs> you know, and I just say that like one of the best things I think he said while we were talking about him as another supporting the musician. He was like, remember he was talking in an interview. And he was talking about the Paul McCartney was over his house, and Paul was in like playing a piano. For his like, teaching his daughter, his daughter, I didn't get the, the how great Paul McCartney is to the level of you know the Beatles, teaching her playing some on the piano for her, and Dave's just sitting there going, Paul McCartney is in my living room, teaching my kid on piano, like he fanned out, like he gets yeah. it. That's not a rock star. That's that's him being a musician, being like, oh my god, you know. Yeah, because a rock star would have been all like kind of worried, whatever, competitive, right? Right. He's he's like, oh my god, you. you Paul McCartney's teaching piano to my daughter. He's a, he's a musician, one of the best out there, or you know, songwriters. You know. You know what? He actually is a good bass player, in my opinion. Oh, he's great. You know, I think that's I why the songs are so good. I couldn't like the Beatles because everybody else did, but you know, now I got distance with time. Great parts he wrote. Great parts he performed. The layering, even 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 the the, the poppy songs in the beginning few albums the layers of the songs were different than the other part. when at first you hear it in the radio it gets kind of boring because it's generic but when you really tear back and listen to it the, the the songwriting and the beatles were the original club band you want to talk about clubs because they never really played the arenas they were they cut their teeth at, at the german club so scene did. So, uh, Sean, i know i did 145 months up in the stooges yeah finally the youngest guy in the band they're 10 or 11 years the 60s had all kinds of little bands garage bands little labels all kinds of, just got all rolled in the 70s with that arena rock thing. So, yeah, the Beatles was kind of from the same culture yeah. our punk movement was. Back totally. our punk movement, there was this band up in the city in San Francisco called Black Humor. They had this line in the song that goes, the only thing new is you finding out about it. <laughs> That's true. We didn't know because 
the prison situation, the dynamic or lack of dynamic. But the Beatles totally came from the same six that Minutemen came from, playing the little pad. Mm-hmm. And creating, they created the sound. They created sound. They wrote almost every, almost every good song that had been written by them by the time they got done. Right. You but know, they learned like crazy off Chuck Berry and all that stuff, right? Old rock and roll. Yeah, Isley Brothers, Twist and Shout. Yeah, yeah. That was school. That was college. Did you yeah. did you see the Get Back special? I did. There is a scene. I don't have cable anymore. Yeah. Well, I there's did, a scene uh, in it. Since I'm paying for internet, but yeah. I watch usually is YouTube over the because the TV. Well, when the time comes, time, yeah. There's a scene in there where um. You, you know, you hear all the bad things about Yoko and everyone. Yoko's doing her screaming, and I think I think it's um, Paul's playing drums, and um, George is just doing dis- dissonance in his guitar. I'm like, they invented Sonic Youth in that scene. Like, it was literally a sound where I'm like... Well, sir, when I hear Plastic Ono Band live, I hear public image. Yeah. So, I mean, they were doing it even that back then, just, just messing around. They still appreciated that sonic dissonance. I did see on an airplane by Martin Scorsese. I think it was the Yoko who did it. Yeah. only let him have one song in album. He was a young guy, right? Yeah. He was a big part of that band. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So, with COVID. Somebody told me in that show they show him. Him, why you work up there for a minute? That show you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. And they go, um, okay. they were just going to call Eric Clapton. They were going to call Eric Clapton. They never say that in the Martin Scorsese movie, but that's what I got. That's the feeling I got. Oh, yeah. Are you, are you, are you, I think you're covering your microphone. I think your finger, you got, you got kind of. Is my face. finger over the microphone? Better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For a minute. We're getting a lot of bass from you. <laughs> okay, too much. Um, that's not a right. reggae. It's not reggae. Wait, did I just hear Mike Watts say too much bass? I don't think it's ever been said before. Well, no, Robbie we, we lost show. Robbie Shakespeare, right? So we we gotta say, yeah. It does say I got Mike, to see Family Man band, too. too much bass. I got to see Bob Marley once, and Family Man Barrett played bass. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. 1979, Pauley Pavilion, UCLA. A basketball arena, you could still hear that bass. <sighs> Loved it. But that was that was also, you know, reggae is still probably one of the few bands that is still kind of punk like in nature. Oh, absolutely. Still, because it's not on the radio, like not on commercial radio. That's right. Dub is too heavy for them. Too much experiment. Yeah, it's it is. Yeah. So in, in the video, um, George actually gets frustrated because he really felt like he's being push pulled, and and so he quits. He quit, and then the guys are like, "What should we do? Should we get we got to finish this album? Should we get Clapton to come in and finish up?" <laughs> he was already gone, so they just they they kind of just set it off the cuff. I mean, don't forget the back and forth between everything with George and they were trading wives and him and Clapton. So, like, the thought of just being replaceable, of bringing Clapton in. Can you imagine Clapton coming in for that session? I think he plays on some songs, right? I, I think he played. I think he play. I think he's the only outside musician besides the keyboard guy that played, who's, I can't think of his name at this moment. He's fantastic. Well, Purdy claims there we go. he played yes. drums on some early stuff. Yeah. So... He walked it back. He was saying he played everything. <laughs> no. You ever he, he, heard but, about it? When you hire him, he brings signs in the studio. They go like no. three foot by four foot signs that say, you hired the hit maker. What? <laughs> Puts him around the drum kit. Number one, you've hired the hit maker. 
That's hilarious yeah, and awesome. He's got something called the uh, the Purdy Shuffle, and it's all over this Steely Dan record called the Royal Scam. It is he's pretty incredible drummer, man. Yeah, I got that record. I love my vinyl. I got and with all. Chuck Rainey on bass, right? So Chuck Rainey and Bernard Purdy. That's a rhythm. You're not gonna get a Steely Dan album though if you're a chopped liver. You know, not the way those guys work. You know, you have to have nerves of steel and you have to be perfect at what you do. You know, you still might end up on the deck, right? They cut out so many dudes. Yeah, right. They would cut Beethoven out. They and I read it about him. Oh, my God. That 30, 40 solos and only one gets it. <laughs> it is there. The level of what they did was crazy, crazy. Um, you so because everything COVID, you were starting to play, you got some dates, everything out. You're just kind of winging it now because you control pretty much your own touring destiny anyhow, which is kind of cool. So you can kind of weave in and out of this whole COVID close downs and openings. You have more flexibility to pop in and pop out. Yeah. Right. And I got a tour. I'm going to help Mike Baguetta this March and April, 47 gigs, 47 days, something like that. And it's called MSV. You... MSSV is the name of the project. Steve Hodges is a drummer man. He played on my first opera, Contemplate in the Engine Room. Uh, I'm pli- we're working on a Missing Man album now, maybe a Missing Man tour in the fall. Is, who's, that, who's that young drummer, that young guy, the drummer? I had a drummer. He's a couple months short of 40 years younger than me. That's nothing would have happened if D-Boom were young, okay? That shows you the progress we've made. His name is Nick Aguilar. I called him Big Man. I went to high school with his father. Ridiculous. That's the guy that I'm playing uh, recently, right? On the YouTube videos? Oh. That, uh, that, the tour that I did right before the situation, right? Yeah. 2019. Yeah. I think a lot of the comments always go, man, not only is Mike a good bass player, he knows how to pick drummers. He never has a shabby drummer behind him. <laughs> well, yeah. The biggest mistake men and men made was putting George Hurley in the back. He should have been right up for the last 20 years. I always have my drummers downstage. You're right in the front. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you, you communicate with him. You actually work it like it's like, you know, Absolutely. like he's a vocalist. Well, it's rhythm music. Why be in denial? The guy, I, the I agree with you, but I agree era. with it, but you don't, but just because I agree with you doesn't mean you see that though. When you see it, you know what I mean? Well, I practice what I preach. You do. You, do. <laughs> uh, you also don't have no, any rules. The closest note I'm, my bass, the closest thing I'm to is that kick drum. Maybe some of the toms. Okay. So, Without the bass, it's poor, lonely kick drum. Come on, we don't want that. But without, yeah, without bass and, and drums, you're just you're just unplugged, and which is good, but not for your music. You know, yours is I, like I, punk I, jazz. I, I have to agree with you there, Sean. You know, I have to agree with you. <laughs> I'm a little biased. <laughs> well, you should be. There's, okay. there's confidence and there's arrogance, and you can have confidence. You know what I'm saying? No, it's I'm not, not arrogant about it. I know you're not arrogant, but that's what I'm saying. There's, you don't so to, much to learn. There's Life's a difference. A classroom. Every gig is a classroom. You never right. graduate. Right? So I'm saying it's okay for you to be confident and not be worried about you know coming across being arrogant. You can be comfortable with what you do. You know, it's evident. Well, I'll let you say that. If I say that, I might that's, feel like I'm breaking my arm, pat myself well, on the back. Sorry. Uh, yeah, that's, that's my that's my job to say. And I don't put people on the show that are shabby. Anyhow, I, I only contact people that I, I like. You know, this is um. Well, I want to thank you for coming on, man, and giving me some time today and coordinating right. this. And teach me how yes, to use Skype. You ask me good stuff that I usually don't get asked, Sean. Thanks so much. Well, it's my pleasure. I, once again, it's just like you when you talk to people, you wanted to ask the questions that you don't usually get. You wanted to, you know, it's, it's a journey. I mean, I have, I have a couple ideas in mind, but.
But this conversation is just like sitting down with somebody and I want to know where you're going with it is where we went. Yeah. And whenever you want to do it again, I'm there. Just let me know. Absolutely, brother. Why don't we talk again? Um, get some more work a little down the road, notorious, and as things open up a little bit, get some music to promote or whatever. Or just have you come on for another show. We'll just talk music. Great. That would be awesome. Great. All right, man. Everyone, okay. Mike Watts. Thank you, brother. See you, Sean. Thank you. Big love.